From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Admi producer A.G. Mbao. This is Podcast in Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. During this pandemic, for many people, the constant changes of recommendations and directives for staying safe and healthy has been a lot. Don't even get me started on all these variants. So hopefully bringing some clarity and comfort, we spoke with Alaska Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ann Zink. The bottom line is why there's less mitigation needed now than before is because more people have protection from previous infection or vaccination. That's the big line of what's different. Admi's senior producer, Quinn White, talked to Dr. Zink about the ever-changing mitigation strategies around COVID, this new BA2 variant, and how we might get out of this pandemic in a different way. They spoke on March 21st, 2022. So Dr. Zink, thank you so much for um, taking the time to chat today. Let's just go ahead and hop into it. So I think the last time we spoke was in the fall before um, Omicron started to show up. And since then, we had that really bad spike over the holidays where we had the highest counts of the entire pandemic, but less proportionate death rates. So now that things have calmed back down and all over the country, mitigation strategies and mask mandates are starting to be lifted. Can you give us a brief assessment of where things stand with the pandemic right now in Alaska? Yeah, no, thanks, Gretchen. It's great to see you again. We are just working our way through this pandemic. So in general, the more people who have immunity to this virus, the better off we are, the more protected we are, particularly against severe disease and death, and the less variants we'll see. And that means the whole world. So right now in Alaska, cases are coming down. Uh, we are the second highest in the nation per capita. So we're still pretty high in the state compared to other places in the country, um, but they're coming down and hospitalizations as well. We're really seeing a decrease overall. Um, we have about 35% of our cases are what are called the BA2 variant or the stealth Omicron variant. It is a version of Omicron that uh, moves more quickly from person to person. So we're seeing, you know, an amount of it in the state. That's really what's driving a lot of the cases right now in like the United Kingdom that has started to see an increase in cases and hospitalizations. We're in a very different place than other places. So unfortunately, places like Hong Kong have been seeing really devastating death rates right now. And that's because a lot of their elderly population chose not to get vaccinated and very little of their population had seen COVID. So very few people had had some degree of personal protection um, from vaccination, particularly those who are older and immunocompromised. So bottom line, Alaska's doing better. Things are working their way through. A lot of people in Alaska have some degree of protection either from past infection or vaccination. They're not perfect, um, but they do add up and work well together. And so thinking about the spring and summer, uh, the thing for Alaskans to do are to get outside, to play, to be mentally and physically active and healthy. COVID's not over. It's going to be here with us for as long as I think any of us are alive. And so taking the precautions we need to keep ourselves healthy and well, and that's physically healthy and well, and then making sure that you're up to date on vaccination, because that's going to be your best tool, even if you had COVID-19 before, uh, to keep you protected from severe illness. And uh, it's just no fun being sick either. So it can help minimize the severity of your disease. So um, it's a, we have a tools uh, and we need to continue to use them. 
Yeah, I um, I got COVID after I came home from Christmas and thank God I'm vaccinated because I didn't get too sick. But you know, I this was later in my questions, but I'm gonna go ahead and ask you now. I'm really a little confused about, I'm confused about a lot of things. I gotta be honest. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about what the BA2 variant is? I'm a little, here's where I'm lost is we're talking about how this variant is even more contagious than um, the Omicron variant. But like I said before, like all these mask mandates are coming down. So I'm a little confused if all of these things, like when we were writing the questions um, for our chat today, we were kind of like going through like the timeline and only like a couple months ago, we were talking about how everybody needs to wear like N95 masks. But um, yeah, I'm a little bit confused about now that the disease is getting more transmissible, why we're taking down all of these mitigation strategies. Yeah, it's a great question. And what this means for you know a 55-year-old immunocompromised person who's getting chemotherapy versus a 17-year-old who's vaccinated and boosted are really different. The bottom line is why there's less mitigation needed now than before is because more people have protection from previous infection or vaccination. That's the big line of what's different. But is you're exactly right. This virus moves really, really fast between person to person. And so, you know, when like, for example, influenza, one person spreads it to about one, one and a half other people. When we were really concerned about COVID at the beginning, it was looking like one person spread it to about two, two and a half other people. Omicron, one person spreads it to probably somewhere between like eight to 11 other people. So just to show you probably with eight to nine being for the kind of the BA1 versus, you know, 10 to 11 for the BA2. So just so highly transmissible moves really, really quickly. And we think of it as a little bit more quote mild disease, but that's not because, I mean, it's a little bit because the way the virus has changed, but it's mainly due to the protection that we have based on vaccination and previous infection. And so that's why in like places like Hong Kong right now, we're seeing such high death rates. It's really from Omicron, but it's causing massive illness um, when you are not vaccinated, you are not protected uh, from previous infection. So those things really make a difference. And that's how pandemics go. You know, like the 1918 pandemic came and went over time. That was before we had vaccination. And that's just because the population as a whole got more protection from previous infection. It caused a lot of deaths. Uh, it really decreased the overall life expectancy. It was devastating to many of our rural communities here in Alaska overall. But the same virus that devastated people in the 1918 pandemic circulates every year as a flu strain. It's just that most of us have some degree of protection from it, and we also have vaccinations against it. So um, that's the reason that the 1918 pandemic virus doesn't cause the same death uh, that it did back at that time. It's just that protection. So we're getting to that same sort of point with COVID. Just more people have vaccination, more people have um, some degree of protection from before. And then the other big difference is we've got more treatments uh, than ever before. But if you're older, you're immunocompromised, um, masking is still a really good idea. And if you're in an environment where more people mask, you're going to have more protection. So if I'm, you know, visiting a loved one or a family member who's at risk, I'm going to be wearing a mask as well as them wearing a mask to protect them. Um, but uh, honestly, if I'm, you know, outside doing things, I'm not wearing a mask. Uh, for me, I throw it on when I go into the grocery store because I don't know who I'm shopping around and uh, want to just provide some additional protection. But I battle it with my eighth grader a lot less than I used to. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel the same way. Like when I go to class and when I go to the grocery store, I always 
feel more comfortable wearing my mask. But, you know, I definitely don't worry about myself or my friends as much as I worry about, um, yeah, the older people in my life that I love and I care about. So you said something about how COVID is going to be with us for as long as we're going to be alive. And I don't know, um, that's something that I personally have had a hard time coming to terms with. I think it's something a lot of people have a hard time coming to terms with. And there's a lot of talk about learning to live with COVID. And this all just kind of feels like this shift towards accepting COVID as an inevitable part of life. But do you think that this is a viable path forward? I think at the beginning of COVID, we didn't know a lot about it and we didn't know how this pandemic was going to go. We have seen other infectious diseases like SARS-CoV-1, the virus that caused the SARS uh, uh, outbreak across the world, that through contact tracing and isolation, we were essentially able to eliminate that virus. And so that was an example of another coronavirus that with the public health measures, we don't have to deal with and we don't have to fight with anymore. And so that was great to see. What was different about SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID is that it has a lot more asymptomatic spread spreads more quickly. And so therefore um, people can spread it without even realizing it. And that's a big game changer in how much you can kind of control uh, the virus overall. And I think the, the world as a whole has realized that the differences in this virus compared to SARS-CoV-1 has made it so this is not a virus we're going to be able to eliminate. This is a virus that we're gonna to have to minimize the impacts on. And that isn't from a failure of people or personnel or science, that is just the nature of the virus that we've learned about. And we didn't know that at the beginning, but we know that now. And so we're seeing even countries like China or New Zealand that had zero COVID policies um, making some changes to that now that we have more understanding of the virus. So Australia and New Zealand are two countries that have moved from a zero COVID policy to living kind of with COVID uh, overall. The other thing I just wanted to highlight is I think we've really had a golden age of infectious diseases between vaccines and antibiotics, where you can just go to your doctor and say, take two of these and I'll be better in the morning. I mean, I see patients all the time in the ER who say, I don't have time to be sick. I don't have time for a cold. I need to be better. Can't you just give me something? But the reality is, is we have been in a battle with infectious diseases as long as we've been around in humanity and we will continue to be. And our best defenses are going to be supporting our natural immunity by education, by exercise, by diet, by taking care of our health, sleeping, mental health, make a huge difference and to be able to fight this virus and others and take care of other conditions. And then using the tools that we have uh, to minimize its impact on us, including vaccinations and treatments when we get uh, sick. So um, just like we live with the flu, uh, we're gonna be living with COVID, but it is an, again, a failure on governments, on science, on anything. It's just, we've learned a lot more about the virus since that time and it's changed uh, to become more and more transmissible. So, you know, and honestly, like we've really been able to eliminate uh, smallpox as the only kind of disease, but there's a lot of diseases like measles and mumps and diphtheria that we have, we don't think about, like, you don't go to school worrying about like, am I going to get diphtheria today? Am I going to get the plague? What's that going to be like? Um, because we're vaccinated and we've got a lot more protection. And so it's really hard to have it spread from person to person, but you know, polio is another disease that we don't think about, but even during this pandemic, uh, Africa is now seeing a surge in polio cases. And so there's a huge international campaign right now to try to minimize the impact of polio uh, and to uh, be able to respond to that uh, outbreak. So we'll continue to respond to surges and outbreaks uh, and educate individuals on, on what they can do to protect themselves and their community. 
So with this push to return to a normal life, what does this say to those vulnerable populations, you know, because something that I hear a lot just over and over, I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic is, yeah, it doesn't affect young people as much as it affects people, like you said, that are older, that might be like on chemotherapy or whatever. So what does that say to those immunocompromised groups who maybe can't yet return to a normal life with COVID still around? For sure. And that is where I think people are having the hardest time. I get devastating emails regularly from people who are immunocompromised on cancer treatment that who are like, I can't return to normal. This is not normal for me. A couple different things. First of all, um, every infectious disease puts immunocompromised people at higher risk. And so we need to be thinking about how we overall support people's health, not just with COVID, but for flu and, and other respiratory pathogens that are highly contagious to help protect those who are immunocompromised. So that's why things like increasing ventilation at school, increasing ventilation on airplanes, even the masking on airplanes helps them to be able to fly and helps to minimize their risk from RSV, influenza, and COVID. So I think we need to think less about COVID specific and how do we reduce infectious diseases overall so that highly contagious pathogens don't affect immunocompromised people in the same way. So I think that's first of all. Second of all, I think we're starting to see a tale of two worlds. There are communities and people who have the money and resources to take time off work if they get sick, access to testing, they know how to get treatment. And so we are seeing uh, people who are able to be much more resilient when they get COVID uh, than others who don't have the ability to take time off work, uh, have to keep moving forward, don't have the ability to know where to get treatment. Um, and we see this uh, specifically with HIV, where we see communities of color, communities uh, who in general don't have the same health education or health resources, having a much higher burden of disease than communities um, that have more access to healthcare, more education, um, and more access to treatments. And so because of that, I am concerned that COVID will start to disproportionately affect people based on their economic status as much as it will uh, affect people based on their immunocompromised status. So I think we need to be thinking about both groups and what ways we make access to care, access to testing and treatment more widely available, and how do we minimize the impact on contagious diseases to immunocompromised people, regardless of the disease, COVID, influenza, so that they can help protect themselves and others. You're totally right. This time has definitely made me think a lot more, not just about, you know, getting COVID, but any kind of disease. Like I, over spring break, I had a great trip and I was sitting on the plane and, you know, I sit there now and I'm like, oh my God, there's all these people from all over the world. It is kind of scary, it, you know, thinking about, um, you're right. Like you kind of, you don't know who's next to you in the grocery store. It's just kind of, um, I don't know. All I guess all I'm trying to say is I personally feel a lot safer having my mask on. And I think, yeah, it does do a lot to just um, kind of help the health of our community. Yeah, and I just want to make sure that, I and mean, I think infectious diseases are an incredibly big deal and they're incredibly important. But, you know, Alaska sees more deaths from suicide and from overdose in proportion. I mean, the leading cause of death for 15 to 24 year olds is suicide. So I think that while these infectious diseases are incredibly important, we need to make sure that we're also thinking about the, the mental health and the physical health of our youth, of adults, of our community overall. And, um, you know, using things like masks on airplanes, but then also making sure we're finding ways to have connection and community um, and not being so focused on any one infectious disease that we miss out on some of these other causes, thinking as holistically about people as we possibly can. We'll be right back.
Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now. Edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you are between ages of 13 and 24 living in Alaska and interested in joining ADME, go to alaskateammedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateammedia.org. Now back to Quinn's interview with Dr. Ann Zink. As far as taking like that holistic approach and keeping in mind that COVID is going to stay with us, what do you think life is going to look like a year from now or maybe five years from now continuing to deal with infectious disease? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's going to depend on the place you work, uh, who you are as a person in the environment. I think that masking has become in just general more normalized. So I think a year from now or five years from now, we'll likely see masks on the plane. I, in a healthcare setting, will never work again without a mask on. Um, You know, we learned via HIV that gloves made a big difference for bloodborne pathogens. And I don't, you know, do something where I might be exposed to blood without having my gloves on. And I won't do the same thing without having a mask on, both for the patient that I'm taking care of, as well as for myself. And so I think that we'll see places like that where they'll just be kind of a normal part of it. I think we'll have a better understanding and hopefully have better built-in supports for infectious diseases, particularly respiratory ones. So again, as I mentioned earlier, better ventilation, uh, more emphasis on outdoor. I know for myself, I've really chosen to support restaurants that have had outdoor seating. I'm like, it's gorgeous out. You can do this even in the winter with heat lamps and with, you know, uh, fires and with a warm jacket and warm hat and we can be resilient and I just feel more comfortable eating outside and it's gorgeous anyway. So um, I hope that in a year and five years, we have more restaurants in Alaska that have, you know, outdoor seating as a normal part um, of their overall patronage of what that looks like. Um, I, you know, have reprioritized hiking and running outside rather than going to the gym. So, you know, I've had small changes in my life just based on infectious diseases from that perspective uh, overall. But then I really hope that we find better ways uh, to think about the ways that both informatics and information have not served as well, ways that we have really needed to rely on each other, um, understood better the ways that we're better connected. And I hope that we can use this opportunity to really uh, improve our overall delivery of healthcare. I'm doing a presentation to the legislature tomorrow on the state of Alaska's health, really focusing on the ways that we can collectively move upstream, invest in prevention, not just treating people when they get sick. So in a recent episode of our podcast, we spoke with a scientist at John Hopkins who studies vaccine behavior and vaccine hesitancy. And she was talking about how she thinks COVID will have a lasting effect on how people trust the healthcare system, particularly with vaccines and for other diseases. And are you concerned at all with a continuing mistrust in public health? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's uh, it, not just public health, but healthcare uh, overall. It, it used to be that, you know, patients, you'd say, well, you know, this is my recommendation. Um, but more and more people are like, well, I, don't, I don't know about that. I see this, I see that. I think it's really good that people ask hard questions, that they're invested in their health overall. But I think we as healthcare providers and with public health need to change the way that we present information, the way that we listen to the public. 
you know, healthcare has changed over time. And we talk a lot now about shared decision-making. So when I have a patient who comes in and a kiddo hits their head and the parents want a CT scan, I sit down, I'm like, well, you know, here's the data, here's the risk benefit. If it was my kid, I would not CT them for these reasons. I would follow them. And this is what I would do. Are you comfortable with that? And that's shared decision-making. And that can help reduce cost. That can help reduce exposure to things like radiation for a CT scan. But then also it's that engaged two-way conversation. It's harder when we're thinking about that as a, as a, on a you know, community or statewide or national uh, perspective. But I think um, we need to think of some of those same tools within healthcare of shared decision-making with public health. And I think that's what Alaska has tried to do with having our you know, echoes once a week and now have moved to every other week to say, what questions do you have? And this is the data we have. Here's the community rate in your community. What does this look like? I think the traditional public health is here are the things you need to do to stay well. And that's very clear and that's easier, but there's, uh, it also, uh, there's a lot of mistrust. Um, and so I think we need to think about that. I also think we need to think about information in a similar way to infectious diseases. Um, you know, we talk about the R not of an infectious disease, how easily it spreads from one person to another. I think TikTok has a different R not than an, you know, a report that goes up on our website. There's certain information that spreads really quickly. And then people have different resiliency and resistance to those messages based on, you know, their education about how to understand facts and data and science. And so I think we need to understand information sharing in a very similar way that we understand infectious diseases. And we need to fit in ways to have uh, health information and reliable health information uh, move quickly through a community. And we need to find ways to make people more resilient to information and misinformation that they see so that they're able to really more quickly discern um, what's trusting and what's not trusting. So I think before we're like, I have a communication plan and I put it out there and people will follow, but that clearly doesn't work. And so I think we need to understand it in a much more nuanced way uh, than we have before. So Dr. Zink, I have to ask you, there seems to be a lot of anger surrounding medical professionals, people like you and Dr. Fauci. And I feel like people are really shooting the messenger in all honesty. So how do you respond to experiences like this where people are directing their anger and frustration towards medical professionals? Yeah, you know, a couple different things. First of all, I had an attending early in my training who told me, you know, you always have to do what's right for the patient and remember that the rest is noise. And there's a lot of noise out there. And so I have to just pull back and say, what am I doing? Do I really truly believe it's best for the people I serve? I'm here to serve the people of Alaska. And remember that there's noise. Uh, and then the other thing I remember is, um, there's like a little quote, I don't have it exactly memorized from Frozen, ironically, <laughs> where uh, they talk about like when, you know, people make bad choices when they're scared, afraid, or sick, or something along those lines, when the trolls are talking, they say mean things when they're scared, or they're afraid, or they're hurting, or they're in pain. And so I just remind myself that, you know, be it someone who's struggling with an opioid addiction in the emergency department, or be it a legislator who's really mad at me, you know, people are scared and they're frustrated and they see their loved ones sick and dying and they don't want that to happen. And they express that anger and frustration at places that they think might be able to make a difference with that. And sometimes that's me. And um, while that anger and frustration doesn't get us to a, you know, a collaborative place as quickly, I just remind myself that that's oftentimes where that comes from. And how can we see common ground in wanting our communities to be healthy and well and, and starting at that spot and just trying to approach it with as much compassion uh, and support. I find the people who are most angry at me are honestly the most scared of what they're seeing in their community. And so let's find a way to make their community more healthy. I really appreciate that. And you know, just to wrap up our conversation, you're totally right. There is so much noise during this time 
I'd like to think that I'm pretty smart. I'd like to think that I'm pretty good at reading the news and understanding what's going on, but I find myself getting, uh, right now I just feel more confused than ever about the rules surrounding COVID. And I think there's a lot of people that are maybe feeling the same way as I am. So my question is, is what do we do now and where do we go from here? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And there is a lot of noise. So I think it's basic. First of all, care for your physical and mental health. Eat well, exercise, get outside, stay socially connected. Second, make sure that you stay up to date on vaccination. And so for most people older than 12, that includes a booster. That booster can make a big difference and stay tuned because we'll have additional information beforehand. And then three, you know, keeping things uh, simple and small. So, you know, keeping your group sizes small, wearing a mask when you're around others, keeping things outside are going to minimize your risks just in general, but don't do that in a way if it compromises your mental health or physical health. So if that gathering is important for you, uh, for your mental health, we need to be prioritizing that as well. So do what we can in ways that are sustainable, that don't cause harm in other ways, Um, but know that you have the tools, you have protection, trust that protection from your vaccination and care for your physical and mental health and stay connected with others. Cause I think that we are really changing into a different part of the pandemic. Perfect. Well, Dr. Zink, I really appreciate your time and I will keep my eye out for another booster shot. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> I just got announced that the Verpac FDA meeting will be uh, April 6th. So uh, we'll have more information probably mid April on a potentially another booster shot. So uh, we'll see. Perfect. I'll mark my calendar. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. Thanks for yours. And thanks for all that you do. That was Abby senior producer Quinn White speaking with Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer. You've been listening to Podcasts in Place from Alaska T-Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost, with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denida people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage for the Healthy Community Funding Program and the CDC Foundation Arts and the Vaccines Confidence Project. The opinions finding the conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those who are guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our program and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us on Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like at me. Just go to patreon.com slash Alaska Teen Media. You can also help by subscribing to rating or writing reviews of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about our organization, discover more youth produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Team Media Institute, I'm AGM Bao. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.